Today's scripture comes out of the book of Mark, as Nathan just said, chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. They came to the other side of the sea, to the region of Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. And the man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with chains. For he had often been bound with shackles and with chains, and he tore apart the chains and broke the shackles into pieces. And no one was strong enough to subdue and tame him. Night and day, he was constantly screaming and shrieking among the tombs and on the mountains and cutting himself with stones. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him. And screaming with a loud voice, he said, What business do we have in common with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you, by God, do not torment me. For Jesus had been saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. He was asking him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he began begging him repeatedly not to send him out of the region. Now there was a large herd of pigs grazing on the mountain, and the demons begged him, come, saying, send us to the pigs so that we may go to him, or go into them. Jesus gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. The herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea, and they were drowned in the sea. The herdsmen ran away and reported in the city and in the country. And the people came to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the man who had been demon-possessed sitting down, clothed and in his right mind. And the man who had had the legion, and then, and they were frightened. Those who had seen it described to the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and about the pigs. So the people began to beg with Jesus to leave the region. As he was stepping into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was begging him that he might go with him. Jesus did not let him, but he said to him, Go home to your family and tell them all the great things that the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So he went away and began to publicly proclaim in the Decapolis, all of the great things that Jesus had done for him. And all the people were astonished. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Trace. Um, that is a long passage to have all of you guys standing. Thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, when Nathan uh, first asked me to do the message, um, I, I was kind of hoping it would be on a Sunday where there wasn't a low attendance. I didn't realize it was the choir day that everyone's going to be here. So, But this is a very interesting passage, and I did start reading it right away. And I, I'm someone that over-prepares and over-prepares, and I went into all the research, and there's so much in this passage. So... Um, I kind of want to set up what's going on here. So we, we begin with Jesus and his disciples. And as you remember from last week, they had just come through this storm. And they come to this, the shore, to the region of the Gerasenes, which is a pretty filthy region, um, that, according to the Jews. So Jesus got out of the boat, and immediately this madman comes screaming and shrieking at him. Uh, and it says that this man lived among the tombs. Uh, so he's living in a gra- 
graveyard. No one could bind him, and uh, not even with chains. So we get, a little, we get a little backstory on this man. He apparently had been often bound with shackles and chains, and he tore them apart. And no one was strong enough to subdue him and tame him. And day and night, he was constantly screaming and shrieking and cutting himself with sharp stones. So obviously, this man is in great distress. And upon seeing Jesus, he comes running up and he bows before Jesus. And then, at this point in the story... Uh, the demons uh, flee. Jesus performs an exorcism. So today I'm going to be talking about exorcisms. I'm just kidding. I'm like totally skipping over that part. <laughs> so Jesus casts the demons into a herd of pigs. They run off. It's, it's the craziest story. You can't make this up, right? Everyone hears what happened. They come running. So anyway, let's, let's back up even a little further. What on earth is going on here with Jesus? Now, Last week, we discovered that when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. So Jesus had been preaching all day long. He'd had a long day speaking to huge crowds, talking about the kingdom of God. And then all of a sudden, as the sun is setting, as it's getting to be evening, he says, out of the blue, let us go over to the other side. And then he leaves the crowd behind, and it says that they took him along as he was, in the boat. So that means, you know, he's probably hungry, probably sweaty. He just, he just leaves. He's like, we got to go. So this is what was happening. And as they go across the, the sea, they encounter this huge storm, totally shakes them up. And then they arrive probably just as the sun is setting on the shore. And a man comes running out of nowhere, naked, screaming, and shrieking. And I mean, can you imagine what the disciples are thinking? They're like, do we sign up for this? This is weird. Like, I don't know what's going on. So the man comes running up. um, And it's almost like Jesus, while he was preaching, suddenly just heard the cries of this desperate man across the sea. And he knew that the timing was just right for this man to be freed from his torturous uh, condition. Because he'd been He'd been like this for a while. So the man runs up and screams, what business do we have in common with each other, Jesus, son of the most high God? And obviously it's the demons that are screaming at him because they know exactly who Jesus is and they know exactly what their fate is. But I want to kind of park here and explore this question for a few moments. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed before him in homage and screaming with a loud voice, he said, what business do we have in common with each other? Jesus, Son of the Most High God. This really kind of has a little bit of an echo of what Peter said right after his encounter with Jesus. In Luke 5, 8, 9, right after Jesus performed the miracle of the fishes filling the nets, it said, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was gripped with bewildering, bewildering amazement, close to terror. So, Think about this. What is the answer? What business do we have in common with the Lord Most High? And the answer is absolutely nothing. When we have an encounter with Christ, we are immediately aware of our desperate and helpless human condition. And we just can't stand to be in his presence. We're exposed to the pure holiness 
and the perfect love of Jesus, and we find ourselves ashamed. And this is actually the first thing that Adam felt when he sinned and he ate the fruit and disobeyed God. He found himself in the shameful position, and the first thing he did was run, and he, and he hid from, from Jesus. But here's the good news that I want to talk about today. Jesus is in the business of restoration. So I don't know if you like to watch those TV shows, the HGTV shows, where they take something really old and junky, uh, maybe a house or some furniture, and they turn them back and restore them into beautiful things, uh, back into the original condition. When you restore something, it means to uh, get something that's been used and neglected and worn down and abandoned, usually left in a junk pile, and to to work on it, to give it lots of time and attention and love and to restore it back to the original design, to make it functional again. This is exactly what Jesus is in the business of doing. There's this great C.S. Lewis quote by by C.S. Lewis (laughs) in Mere Christianity. Um, He says, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he is doing. He's getting the drains right, stopping the leaks in the roof, and so on. You knew those jobs needed doing, so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking about the house in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor here, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were going to be made into a tidy little cottage, but he is building a palace, and he intends to come and live there himself. God's original plan from the very beginning was for us to have an intense, loving, thriving relationship with him and to be part of his family. But as we've seen in so many examples, our sinful nature drives us away from that perfect relationship. And this predicament that we find ourselves in is not a surprise to God. He knew from the very beginning that, he, that we would wander away and that we would go down a path of self-destruction. But he decided to take that risk. He loves us so much he was willing to make the ultimate sacrifice so that we could actually have a restored relationship with him. And don't we often find ourselves in, in situations that are out of control? Um, I actually Googled or looked it up, uh, whatever you say nowadays. <laughs> uh, I Googled self-help books, and the very first thing that popped up was 4,560,000,000 results of, of self-help books. So there's a lot of self-help books out there right now. Clearly, we have a hard time helping ourselves because new ones keep getting written. It is a law of nature that all things in their present state will lead to entropy or irreversible disorder without, the, uh, without outside counter-interference. The second law of thermodynamics states that as, as one goes forward in time, the net entropy or degree of disorder of any isolated or closed system will always increase or at least stay the same. Basically, this means that we are on a path to self-destruction. We are on a path to disorder when left to ourselves. Um, So we find ourselves in these situations, and nothing we try is working out for us. We've tried everything, and this is what's going on with this man. He runs out. It says that uh, 
people could not bind him anymore, even with chains. So he was growing stronger, but he was getting worse. And then Jesus comes and he restores everything. And when Jesus restores us, he restores our mind, our body, our spirit, our relationships, our passions, our past, our present, our future. He restores everything. He's multidimensional. He restores all and everything. So the first thing I want to kind of zero in on this morning is that Jesus restores our identity. In Mark, the first thing he says is, that Jesus says to him is, what is your name? And this man says, I am legion, for we are many. And so he is saying that he is a tormented person. What would you say if someone asked you, who are you? What is your name? Do you have any labels that are stuck on you? If someone asked you to describe yourself, what would you say? Are you too sensitive, too loud, just too much to handle? What labels were put on you when you were younger? Are you stuck in your role as the fixer, the oldest child, the complainer, the decider, the baby of the family, the klutz? Can you ever escape these labels once they've been stuck on you? Who have you become over time? The one who makes bad decisions, the one who can't break an addiction, the black sheep of the family, the golden child? Are you a chatty Kathy or a Debbie Downer or a Karen? Who are you? This man was the madman that screamed all night long, and everybody knew him. If you would have asked anyone in the region, they would have said, oh yeah, that's that crazy guy. That's the man from the tombs that's screaming all night long. But when they came to Jesus, when the the people heard about this and came, notice it says here, the man who had been demon-possessed was sitting down, clothed in his right mind. The man who had previously a legion of demons. He is no longer the same man. And later on in this little chapter, we read that as Jesus was stepping into the boat, they call him the Gentile man who had been demon-possessed. So his identity is changing. I know for me, uh, personally, my identity has shaped over time. And I... I used to uh, look at myself, you know, kind of when you start getting older, maybe when you're your teens or when you start getting some self-awareness, I started looking at myself and thinking, I really don't like the person that I am because I was dealing, I started naming these things. I had a lot of hatred, a lot of jealousy, a lot of insecurity, a lot of defensiveness. I, I was just a hot mess and I just was getting worse and it's almost like I didn't know how to help myself. I didn't know how to help myself. I've tried everything. I'm very much a self-help person. I've read it all. I listen to podcasts, you know, read books, all that. And I've cried out many times to God in angry tears and through journaling. And, oh, my goodness, do you ever just drive down the road and scream? Anyone? I mean, (laughs) if I had an autobiography, it would probably be called Screaming Conversations of God or something. But, you know, God wants to hear our hearts. And so I have cried out to God many, many times. And here's the thing. God hears our cry, and he steps in, and he begins rebuilding us and restoring us into something we could not become on our own. I'm happy to say that I'm in the process of restoration still, But today, I am somebody that I would not have recognized 20, 30 years ago. I would have never thought that I could be joyful, uh, confident, even up here speaking in front of anybody. God is, is, is... continuing to restore me into what he had as a vision. And I love it. I I don't want to be that old person when left to myself. I want him. Please come in, God. Please change me. I can't do it. My prayer almost every day is, God, save me from myself. I just mess up. I do. I pray that all the time. 
2 Corinthians says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away, and look, the new things have come. And when God says it, it's done. It is done. It is finished. The second thing that I really uh, tuned into uh, and got out of this passage was that Jesus restores our dignity. In Mark, it says they, uh, they, says they came to Jesus and saw the man who had been demon-possessed sitting down, and he was clothed. Now, remember previously, he was running around naked, shrieking in torturous situation, cutting himself, bloodied, just a mess. And he couldn't even restrain himself. And then they come and they see, after his encounter with Christ, he is sitting down. He is clothed. He's in his right mind. He is the one that previously was just out of control. And now he is dignified. And he's sitting there at peace with a healthy mind, fully clothed. I just... When I read that and I started thinking about it, it just, it almost made me weep. It really did. I was kind of talking through this, um, trying to figure out what I was going to say today. And it really touched me that Jesus cares so much to, to clothe this man, to, to make him presentable. And that's what Jesus does. He restores our dignity. There's so many examples of Jesus restoring dignity to people who are outcasts. Um, we're going to be learning about the bleeding woman. You know, he reaches out to uh, lepers, tax collectors, so many people that are undignified or that society sees as unclean or unhealthy and don't want anything to do with them. Jesus comes to those people. He comes to us, and he gives us dignity to stand before him. We need no longer to be ashamed. In Colossians 1:19, it says, At one time you were separated from God, You were his enemies in your minds, and the evil things you did were against God. But now God has made you his friends again. Friends with God. Did you catch that? That's amazing. He did this through Christ's death in the body so that he might bring you into God's presence as people who are holy. Do you see yourself as a holy person? People that do no wrong and with nothing which God can judge you guilty. I stand here today because of the blood of Christ not guilty, unashamed, nothing is held against me. That is, that, that is the most amazingly good news I've ever heard. And God restores our dignity and our right standing with him. Praise the Lord for that, because we can't do it on our own. The next thing that Jesus restores to this man is he restores him back to his community. This man clearly wanted to go with Jesus and be his disciple, but Jesus would not let him come. It says, instead, he said to him, go home to your family and tell them of all the great things that the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. Sometimes the best thing we can do after an encounter with Christ is just to go home and tell others about it. How can our message be believed without overwhelming proof or evidence? The proof is in what you see, right? Who... Who on earth can, by their own self-will, completely transform themselves in their mind and in their bodies and in the way they live, in their habits, without the power of the Holy Spirit? I can't even go without sugar for two days in a row. I've tried. I'm, we are so weak and helpless. It's, it's impossible for me. If I can't change little habits, how am I going to change this mind of mine that is just so messed up? Only the Holy Spirit can do that. And the cool thing is, is that 
He then restores us to community where we get to live among each other. We get to encourage one another. We get to fellowship with one another. We get to laugh and sing and do all these things. And last night with the choir reunion, that was just a little glimpse of what heaven's going to be like. And it's so cool because when you see people that you haven't seen in a long time and, and you're both sisters and brothers in Christ, it's like no time has passed. You can approach each other and give each other a hug and be like, oh my goodness, how are you doing? And it's like nothing has ever happened. We are in community now. Jesus himself was part of a community, the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, the Father, and the Holy Son. And they lived in perfect harmony. They live in perfect harmony. But you know what love does? Love wants to share. Love wants to grow and expand. And that is what happens when we come into Christ's family. In Revelation, it says, in Revelation 2, 1, it says, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, the home of God is now among men, and he will live with them, and they will be his people. Yes, God himself will be among him. This is his plan of restoration, to restore our community to the way he had originally intended it, with God living among us, with us feeling and breathing and loving each other and, and God's presence and soaking it all up and living our, our fullest way that we can. And it's just, God has so many things, and love grows, and love wants to be shared, and God is love. And this brings me to the best news yet, and that is that God restores our eternity. So how does God restore eternity? Um, there's a really great quote by Timothy Keller. He says, we modern people think of miracles as the suspension of natural order, but Jesus meant them to be the restoration of the natural order. The Bible tells us that God did not originally make the world to have disease, hunger, and death in it. Jesus has come to redeem it where it is wrong and heal the world where it is broken. Jesus' miracles are a promise to our hearts that the world we all want is coming. We have hope for eternity. That is the best news you could ever hear. In Colossians 1.20, it says, Through Christ, God has brought back all things to himself again on earth and things in heaven. And when Jesus restores us, he restores all things. This means that we can look at our past and our present and our future through, through new lenses, through the lenses of salvation, through the lenses of the light of eternity. Everything in our lives that has happened now takes on newness. Every bad thing that has ever happened to us is now an integral part of our eternal story. And nothing, nothing is wasted. Nothing has ever been done that God cannot redeem and restore to make part of our story, to better us, to make us more like him. How can this be possible? I just have a quick little illustration. When I was in first grade, I was bullied. Someone said I was a dummy head or something. And so I went home crying and just, it was like the worst thing that ever happened to me, right? I'm crying. <laughs> and my pain was genuine in first grade. It was so genuine. Like, I just wanted to die, you know? And now I can look back a couple decades later, and I laugh. And I'm not laughing at my own pain. I'm laughing because it's so insignificant. And we're going through things right now that might be troubling and might be hard. And we're not going to look back at it laugh, but we're going to see it in this eternal perspective and see how it has shaped our character and how God has used it in our story. And it's not going to cause us any more pain. Jesus 
takes away the pain and the sting of death of any kind. He takes away the shame. He takes it all. He changes it all. And so we are restored to eternity, and our past is restored, and our present is restored. And we can live in the light of Christ today as the people we are today, full of Christ's love, with a sound mind, with dignity in community, and our identities are intact for eternity. And I just love that we're going to be doing baptism today because that's what it's all about. We die to ourselves and we raise to new life. And today we can live in the light of eternity. And so I thank you for letting me uh, go through this passage. This is wonderful. Um, amen.